Thank you for listening to In Good Faith, the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, Loving Your Enemies, and is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. It was delivered on Sunday, January 29th, 2023, by Pastor Steve Pierce. page 786 in your pew Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. I invite you now to turn there and follow along, or close your eyes, if you will, and let these words absorb into your body, your soul. Hear now the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Well, it remains the greatest sermon ever preached, and for a reason. These are the most visited chapters in all of the Holy Bible. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. A message proclaimed mostly to a Jewish crowd that offered a new perspective on what a blessed life that is pleasing to God looks like on the inside and on the outside. A blessed life that is rewarding, free of hypocrisy, authentic, one that's glorifying to God. And when Jesus was done proclaiming this message, Matthew tells us in chapter 7 that the people were astounded by what he was saying. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Today, the Sermon on the Mount still speaks to us. For it's telling us that we are a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. We have a purpose. We have a place in the kingdom of God. And our purpose is simple. It's to be salt. 
It's, it's to be light. That is our influence of good in the world. And our character is the Beatitudes. That is really what we should be all about. We see others as Jesus sees them, and that clears the way for others to see Jesus Christ in us. And on the surface, all of that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Be salty and be sunny. (laughs) But in the verses that follow, we quickly find out that there is more being asked of each and every one of us. Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And as he digs deeper and deeper into what it means to live into the spirit of the law, he makes it clear that being his follower requires more from us than obeying just a few rules. This is where things get up close and personal. If the Beatitudes sounded a bit radical when Jesus first proclaimed them, then Imagine how much more progressive these ideas must have sounded to the people gathered on that hillside. Jesus doesn't mince words about the kingdom. He uses specific language that slowly reframes the disciples' mindsets. That, that, that is, he's changing slowly the way they will see the world. The ideals he places before them for genuine kingdom conduct goes above and beyond the letter of the law. Consider some of the things he, he says leading up to our passage for today. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with, your, with, with a brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. Or or you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And within that crowd of Jewish listeners were a few curious but skeptical Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the zealous Jews who believed that the way to please God was by meticulously following a long list of religious rules and regulations. And the foundation of the Pharisaical rules was Torah, the law that God gave through Moses to the Jewish people in the Hebrew Scriptures. And many argue that the most famous part of Torah is the Ten Statements, the Ten Commandments. But these are actually just ten of the 613 commandments given to the ancient Israelites. And over time, over time, they slowly began to add to these laws in what is known as Mishnah. And Mishnah is simply sermons and sayings by Jewish rabbis meant to interpret the original Mosaic law. As you can imagine, this ended up adding layers and layers of complicated regulations And what we learn in Matthew 23 is that Jesus critiques the Pharisees by saying that they were too legalistic. They were only concerned with the external appearance of keeping the law rather than the inward spirit of the law. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes one commandment at a time. He lifts them up 
and he deepens its meaning and purpose. He creatively offers a new way to interpret the law that transcends the way his listeners had understood it. And when he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he isn't replacing any of the commandments with new ones, not at all. He is urging his followers, he's urging us to go deeper into God's intention for us and to go above and beyond the letter of the law. For example, Jesus knows the predisposition for violence is older than Cain and Abel and that it's in each and every one of us. So when we read a passage like the one today, questions bubble up. How about this one? What's the first thing that comes to mind when someone criticizes your political beliefs or the candidate that you're supporting? Or this one. Maybe you've replayed an argument over and over in your mind and then you thought of the perfect line that could have completely destroyed the person you were having that argument with. Or have you ever wanted to hurt someone because they hurt you or they hurt someone you love? Or have you ever just lost it and you sent that scathing email or text? Or worse, you slapped someone across their face. Have you ever wanted to get even? You know, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I think it's interesting that Mahatma Gandhi is credited with with saying that an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Even though we have the propensity to perpetuate and more often than not escalate violence, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth wasn't justification for violence in the Hebrew scriptures. Nor was it even attend, ever attended as permission for violence. It was rather a limitation on violence. It was intended to be a guiding ethic for legislators and judges. It was not meant to advocate personal vengeance or retaliation. No. It was the responsibility of the civil authority to penalize criminals rightly. Here's the other thing about this passage. Jesus' statements would have been offensive to many of the Jews listening because any Messiah who would turn the other cheek was not the military leader they wanted or needed to lead a revolt against Rome. They were under Roman oppression and desperately wanted retaliation against their enemies whom they despised. The Romans were evil. These were not God-fearing people. They were evil. And they were occupying the Jews in this region. But Jesus says, there's no room for retaliation. There's no room for hatred in my kingdom. Showing justice and mercy to others accomplishes far more than demanding it for ourselves. In Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, Jean Valjean comes to the bishop's house and he sees the silver there and what does he do? He takes it and he's caught immediately. But the bishop saves him 
And he gives them, I think, the worst burden of his life. He forgives him right on the spot. He doesn't antagonize him or provoke him. He forgives him right then and there. And Valjean's entire life is haunted, I think, after that by seeking to find that appropriate place where he can give away that kind of love. That's the story. And it is a beautiful one. By not retaliating, Jesus is keeping us from taking the law into our own hands. But we want to do that. And he knows it. By loving and praying for our enemies, he says we overcome evil with good. By surrendering to God's supernatural help to love people who are just disgusting or unpleasant or unkind or have committed heinous or vicious acts against us or people we know, we really show others what the Apostle Paul says by clothing ourselves with love, by allowing the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And as Dr. Meter read for us earlier, we commit no evil against our friends or heap shame upon our neighbors. Recently, I saw a sign. Maybe you saw it. It's been trending. It's, it's actually been around for a while. But there's a sign going around that says this. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It is loving Judas. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. Several of us last year had the privilege of journeying through Israel and, and Palestine. And we had the pleasure of meeting Dawood Nassar on his, his farm, Dahir's vineyard, just a few kilometers away from Bethlehem in the West Bank, which is an occupied territory of Palestine known as Area C. So the Israelis control it, but it's not the Israelis. This is Palestinian land. And I've mentioned Dawood and his, and his farm before. And if you have not heard of uh, Dawood Nassar and his family and his compelling story, I invite you to go to Tent of Nations online. Just type in Tent of Nations. 32 years now, the Nassar family has been um, fighting for their 100-acre farm to keep it from being confiscated by the Israeli government as state land. The Nassar family are Palestinian Christians. They've been on this land long, a long time, since 1916, uh, when the area was under Ottoman control. The Israeli government continues to make it more and more difficult for the Nassar family to even live, to even exist on their property. They've cut off the electricity. They've cut off the water. They've blocked the driveway. They've set up boulders and trash and everything they can do to make it almost impossible to live off the land here and Dahir's vineyard. They want the Nassar family to vacate, and they would love nothing more for that to happen so that they can build yet another illegal settlement in Palestine. But they stay. They stay because this is home. They stay because they're connected to the land. They stay 
because this is what they've inherited and to give this away would be like giving up their soul. They could meet violence with violence. God knows they've been victims of crime and, and they've lost trees, people coming in, cutting them down. They could give up and leave. But instead, this is what the Nassar family has committed themselves to. They refuse to be victims. They refuse to hate. They refuse to be enemies. They act differently as Christians because they believe in justice. They walk a different path. And in the end, here's what I think is going to happen. No matter what the court tells them in February next month, I believe they will outlove all of those folks who are hell-bent on trying to break their spirits. And the verse, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, reminds me of Dawood and his family and others just like them who are trying so hard to love others as completely as God loves us. But that's in the West Bank. And we're in Grand Rapids. What about us this morning? How are we putting this teaching into action? How are we doing it? When we turn on the news and all we see is gun violence and another Memphis, Half Moon Bay, Monterey Park, a killing in Jerusalem, the war in Ukraine, which is just horrible and in so many ways, and other places of violence. And violence really has become business as usual. It's the currency of the privileged. It's what benefits the privileged. And beleaguered, those who beleaguer in the struggle, they're, they're left with meager portions. And all of this has left us bankrupt in so many ways. As Gandhi said, it leaves the world blind and toothless. But but we know this isn't the gospel of Christ. We know there's a better way, the way of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is the way we were really created to be, to love. And the way of Jesus says you need to go to the dark places. And even those who have hurt you, who have besmirched you, have cut you, have tried to destroy you, in the kingdom of God, we still show love. We still go above and beyond our own desires and preferences to live out this law of love. Because in the end, the way we love, not only ourselves, but others, is the way we show God to the world. Our love for one another has the power to draw people into God's love for them. This is the gospel. This is Jesus' kingdom. And we are in it. May we be empowered to act accordingly for his glory. Let us pray.
Almighty God, grant that the words we have heard this day may, through your grace, be so grafted within our hearts that they bring forth in us the fruits of the Spirit to the honor and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids. We hope you'll give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and the ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website at www.centralreformedchurch.org.